Welcome to another uh, True Tone Lounge Quarantine Edition, and this is one that I've, uh, you know, Duke has been on my short list of uh, of, of cats to interview. Uh, been a been a favorite for a long time, from his work with uh, Murray Chapin Carpenter and Jonathan Brook to uh, Peter Wolf and uh, soundtrack work uh, with John Sayles, like a Lone Star and other movies, and uh, of course. Uh, you know, probably the the biggest thing is his is his solo records. He uh, you know he's one of the few guitarists who makes great solo albums that are uh, listenable over and over again. I've I've you know owned you know Duke's you know records since the early '90s and I still listen to them regularly and and they're uh, they're melodic and uh, you know soulful and toneful and uh, so it's a treat to to finally uh, you know kind of sit down even if it's via skype to get to talk to duke so thank you so much for doing this duke uh thanks for having me zach likewise Pleasure right. to be. well cool why well, uh one you know i always assumed that uh that you know your your nickname came from your guitar playing but i found out that it actually was a nickname that your uh, that your dad gave you yeah yeah my dad gave me this uh i really didn't like it um he used to used to tell stories when we we'd go on vacation in the summers and uh, we'd sit around after dinner and he would tell stories that would involve basically everybody in the room would become a character. Mm -hmm. Some seemed to be based around Captain Hook for some reason, which I don't know if any of us still know why. But uh, I was the Duke in that. And this was probably, you know, I was like eight or nine, ten years old. And uh, that it started sticking. People, my, some of my family would call me that and and friends started calling me that and I really didn't like it. I just, I didn't, I kind of, I think I acquiesced around the time I graduated high school because no one knew who I was if I used my real name. So I just, Cause you're, cause your name's Robert. Yeah. Bob, <laughs> Bob, Bob Levine. And, and a couple of my family members still call me that, a couple, but, uh, yeah, mostly I just, I just turned around and got used to it. Yeah. Yeah, because it, it's a great, you know, guitar guitar player name. People seem to, yeah. And, you know, my dad, I joke, because my dad always used to say, I, sh I should have a gimmick, you know. He knows. <laughs> uh, and uh, and this is my gimmick, I guess. He gave me my gimmick. <laughs> well, it's a good gift. What yeah. else did you learn from your dad that was important? Um, man, he was the greatest. Uh, he, he supported... What you know, we had five kids, and whatever any of us did, he and my mom supported us wholeheartedly. They were huge fans, too. So like any, even from early on, like I started playing with bands when I was around twelve, and you know he would drive us to gigs, do the whole trip that you know a lot of a lot of cool parents did, and yeah. uh, helped the band however he could. He had he sold printing. So uh, he he would you know print our posters and our bumper stickers and just you know so and also it, I'd run into people around town our hometown that knew him because he was just you know he either they worked with him or you know somehow they they met him and everyone uh, had kind words to say about my dad and I, I thought that was pretty cool. That's very cool. You you kind of have musical siblings too. Of course, your you know your brother Buzzy has you know Lark Street, which is a great you know vintage shop. I just you know kind of a, a quick sidetrack. How did how did Buzzy get into you know the vintage guitar business? I mean, he was one of the early earlier guys in that. Yeah, 
Yeah, he was, um, he, I think early on he studied, I think, violin repair a little bit and guitar repair. And I remember he was, when I, I used to go visit him when I was like 10 years old. He, he was living in Amherst, which is uh, Western Massachusetts. And he was working in a guitar shop then. I remember one of my earliest memories was hanging out in this place called Fretted Instrument Workshop, which mm-hmm. it's not still there. It was there for quite a long time. And uh, and he got into it that way, like repairs and stuff. And then I just think he, he just loved guitars. And I think he got into, opened his shop in Albany in the 80s, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, probably the early 80s, I guess. Yeah, so he's been, he's been in it a long time, still going strong. Yeah. 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 Cool. So, uh, so you so what what leads you to pick up the guitar? So yeah, like well, I'm the youngest of five, and yeah. my brother is my brother Rick Elliot, all played. So there was a guitar in the house, and and my sister and I are closer in age, so we kind of picked it up around the same time, and we we our our dad bought us two Yamaha FG seventy five acoustic. Yeah. And, you know, already, you know, my brother Rick had a, a nice J50 hanging around the house. And I remember playing, Buzz was the oldest, so he was kind of out of the house, at a, you know, when I was pretty young. But I remember him having a couple cool electric guitars. But um, my brother Rick used to like to play in open tuning. You know, that was kind of a thing, that folky thing back back then. This would have been like late 60s, early 70s. And I remember, I think I thought I could play guitar because I picked it up and it was an open G. And I was playing. I was like, <laughs> without doing anything. Yeah, I'm pretty good. Yeah, I could do this. And so he, he, uh, my couple brothers got us started and showed us chords and stuff. And they had, you know, great record collection too. Um, so I got, you know, really between getting turned on to, you know, actually being able to play the guitar and, and all the cool records that we had right there in the house that I might not have had otherwise. Yeah. Um, and my sister went on my sister doesn't play a lot anymore but you know she she played in earnest for a little while she had a punk band in the late 70s and and i played with her a little bit in her own band so she had a little bit of a career too and yeah pretty much my my other brothers still play and so then you you can you had you know like high school bands and things like that and then you continued to study music at the at the university level yeah, yeah, I was in a band all through junior high and high school, and by the end, actually, we had we had a manager who bought us a, a bus, and we had our own sound and lights. And we were, I would always think I learned a lot without even knowing it, you know, because we were playing gigs on the weekends all through high school. Right. Um, I I got through high school. I joined a band full time right out of high school for about four years. Played in a full time band called Crockett, and. Uh, mostly regional around around new england and then uh after that stopped uh, then i thought about going to music school i was studying with a great teacher in my hometown of worcester a guy named rich falco who's a great jazz player and teacher and uh when i told him i, I was thinking about going to music school he thought i should go to new england conservatory because uh mick goodrick was teaching there mm-hmm. that's a big and that's who you took with yeah 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 and that's what i said so, how, how you know your your first solo record was called Guitar Talk, and it was more of a, a, a fusiony thing, and it's that's pretty pretty hard to find album. But then yeah, you, yeah. yeah, but then 
then you you move on to like nobody's home and and country soul guitar and yeah. and so so i'm wondering how does a guy you know up in the northeast you know get into telecasters and the country soul music and and you know how how did that transpire because of course you know that first solo record was and I think you also you played with the Del Fuegos and you did some other yeah. things during this you know period of time. So yeah. how did how did you move toward you know this kind of Americana country soul kind of music? Well, um, oh, so you know that you know the first record too. I just found some of those the guitar talks, so I should I probably get that out in the world somewhere at some point. Um, so, well, I you know I had a country band that. Um, I guess around the time I was going to New England, you know, studying jazz at, at the conservatory, I was playing, I had a band with some friends of mine. Uh, we were playing mostly honky-tonk, you know, old country music. And I just got into it more right around that time. This was like in the 80s. And there was, you know, there was also that whole uh, kind of, um, what did they call it then? They call it they call it Americana now. But, you know, that, that like, um, like my friend was in the Blood Oranges and, and uh, the Del Fuegos and, and Los Lobos. There was kind of a roots resurgence around then. Right. But, I, you know, I had heard, I had loved the kind of like Merle Haggard records when I was a kid and, and learned a little bit of that then. But, yeah, around that time, I was going to, to the conservatory. I also got, got into playing more country guitar and, and that music. And, uh, and so... Yeah, while I was in school, my first record I did was like more of a jazz fusion thing. And uh, it's funny because even by the time that record came out, because, you know, how these things go, it takes a little while. You're doing it on your own somewhat. By the time it came out, I was already kind of shifted. I admit I was out of school and I kind of shifted my focus. to like, well, I like instrumental music, but how can I make it more rootsy? You know, like maybe incorporate country guitar playing into it, which is really what I love to do. I was never an in earnest jazz player. Um, and so I kind of shifted already at that point, you know, and yeah. was playing some of the stuff that became uh, Nobody's Home. So, but I just, yeah, I just love the music. And I was listening, like, at that point, Albert Lee and, and Ray Flack mm -hmm. were kind of my then in that era. Yeah. Yeah. So... How were you, uh, I mean, were you just picking up all this stuff on your own? Was there anyone to actually learn from in your area? No, I think I just, uh, no, not really. I mean, I think I just, uh, yeah, learned from records as much as I could, you know, that, um, trying to think, yeah, really like those Albert Lee, like there's some couple class, like the, the Albert Lee on the Dave Edmonds record, you know, right. that one, Sweet Yeah, with all the B Bender stuff on it. I, but I didn't have a B bender, so I tried, you know, learning some of that. And then the Ray Flack, that stuff on uh, Highways and Heartaches, was it? The Ricky Stags yeah. record? Yeah. And then Bruce Bowden, the, the steel player, too. All yeah. that stuff we tried to learn, you know, <laughs> my friends. Um, and yeah, just, I guess, off the records, you know. And then, you know, of course, listening to Roy Nichols and all the stuff I had already had and Don Rich and all that. Yeah. So you had to have gotten a telly at some point in this. Yeah, later. You know, it's funny. I had a Strat all through that. Okay. I was playing a country, this country band I had called The Trailers. Um, I had a mid-70s Strat, like a hardtail Strat, and that was, that was what I played. And then, yeah, even 
I got my cooler strap, my 63 strap shortly after then. And that's what I played on uh, my, on nobody's home. That's all strap. Yeah. And I got a telly, um, when, for, uh, by the time uh, we made country soul guitar, I got a telly. Yeah. So that was my first, probably early nineties. So how did you get a record deal in the first place? Oh, I had a record deal. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, it's amazing. Uh, there's a, when you mentioned the movies I played on a lot of the John sales movies, right. The main pairing was the guy who was the, the, the composer, uh, who did a bunch of movies. I met him, you know, he's local here around Boston and, got to working with him on, on soundtrack stuff. And he had started a small label to put his soundtracks out. And he had a deal for the label with Rounder Records. Right. So they did distribution for it? Yeah. yeah. So he said, why don't we do, you know, let's do a record. You know, I'll put it out. It was so cool. And uh, he did those three records for me. Uh, Nobody's Home, Country Slow Guitar, and Lava. Yeah. Kind of the extra added bonus that Rounder actually, they had a bunch of smaller labels that they distributed, but they actually did some promotion on it and got it out there. You know, people like you and other parts of the world yeah. kind of found it, which was really cool. Because yeah. I didn't talk behind it. I just kind of, I was just always here. So it, it got out into the world a little bit. Yeah, I, I remember randomly finding it in a Nashville, uh, you know, record shop and it was like in the, you know, just the, the cover alone and the name Country Soul Guitar kind of, you know, pulled me in, you know, just, and so I, you know, I picked it up from there. So, yeah. So you were also playing with Jonathan Brooke and the story. That was kind of a, a, a Boston area, you know, kind of a duo. Then, you know, then they, they parted ways and such. And how, you know, I guess those were just people that you were running with at that point. Yeah, um, I think. I got involved with those guys through a guy named Ben Whitman, who's a great drummer and producer. We yes. we went to school together at the conservatory, and he got me involved in with those guys and played on those two story records. And then Jonathan went off on her own, and I, I played on her first couple solo records, one which was called Jonathan Brook and the Story, and then one was called Ten Cent Wings. Mm-hmm. And play with uh, Jennifer Kimball, who was the other half of that duo, now right. she's still and uh we've made some records together yeah and she's still doing writing really unique stuff and yeah so that's kind of i guess how that there's some a, bun, a couple of relationships musically that i that started by uh, meeting people at the conservatory some that i still get to play with yeah and just so people so for some people that haven't heard like the the story and such so these are some divergent, you know, kind of musical styles that you're playing. You're, you're kind of, you're playing this honky tonk music, you're playing jazz, and then you're playing, you know, this kind of folk pop, uh, you know, for lack of a better term, singer songwriter, folk pop music. And, uh, it's, uh, you know, all very stylistically different and and pulling, you know, different things from you guitar wise. So where were you pulling like the, the, what you did on those, like the, like the, the Jonathan Brook and the story records, like where did that playing come from? I mean, was that just kind of what the song called for or where were you learning that type of playing from? Yeah. I, um, yeah. The, her, uh, Jonathan's tunes were very, and pretty advanced harmonically, a lot of them. And um, it just, it was just kind of 
like anything, like anytime you do something like that, trying to find something that fits in the tune. Also, on their first, especially on the first couple records, Ben and, and Alain Mallet, amazing piano player, who was the co-producer on on those and, and Jonathan's first couple, um, they came up with some of the actual guitar parts. Okay. They had, I, you know, and they were like, and if you talk to them now, they were first-time producers, and they were they were cool with stuff they came up with. You know, they really wanted to like, you know. They were very hands-on, and uh, and you know I came up with some stuff as well. But uh, it was interesting, yeah, very uh, to navigate some of that stuff. You know, you just kind of find what you can, and you know, like it was definitely collaborative. Yeah, yeah. It's in, in, go ahead. Oh, sorry. There were, that was kind of the start. There were a bunch of people, especially around Boston and Cambridge, with a lot of singer-songwriters. People were, I think, somebody moving here because there was a scene. Yeah. Was a lot of that around, but but I would say Jonathan and Jennifer's music was was definitely unique, especially harmonically. Some dense chords and yeah. Sometimes there weren't many other notes to play, and some of the stuff that Jonathan was doing, there was you know some dissonance or some. It would, they would, the voicings were so thick, you could maybe just pick one note to like kind of weave in and out of it, <laughs> do a volume swell or something. Well, yeah, yeah. So yeah, there's there's footage of you uh, playing with uh, with Jonathan uh, here in Nashville uh, at uh, a place called Cafe Milano that uh, was a, a joint that used to be here. And so uh, it's it's uh, Jonathan. There's a background vocalist. Then there's a, a guy that's playing drums and bass at the same time, and you're playing you're you're playing your Strat. Yeah, I remember that. Wow, that was a while ago. Yeah. So that somebody uh, you know fished that out of you know out of the ether and and posted it on YouTube and uh, oh, so it was, wow. it was it was interesting uh, you know seeing you you know that that far back you know playing uh, playing with Jonathan so in that kind of format so cool she's great yeah yeah no so kind of the the next thing that kind of comes along is uh, you start playing with Mary Chapin Carpenter. So uh, with with that, uh, what I had heard was that you know Stuart Smith played on the Stones and the Road record, and they felt like they needed to fill out the band with a second guitar player. Is that kind of the? Uh, is that the yeah. truth? Yeah, I think that's what happened. I think they wanted. I think Stuart couldn't do it. I think they asked him to to go out on the road with him, and it, it, he wasn't available. So they yeah they were looking for somebody else. And it's funny that actually the the way that happened was she had two managers at the time. And they had come to see the story at a gig with the full band up in Bo- uh, here in Boston. And I don't remember meeting them at the gig, but uh, I got a call from them like shortly after that, uh, out of you know, because they had seen me play with those with the story. Yeah. And I would be interested in doing this gig, and um, of course I was. Yeah. <laughs> so there wasn't and, an audition. They just they just asked you to do it. She was like at the height of her career, you know, for sure, right at that point. Um, and I don't think I'm trying to, I think I met her. I went to a gig that she did shortly after that and met her and, and that was cool. But uh, it was one of those, I don't know, audition or anything. I just got to do the gig and, you know, with the, I think with the agreement that, you know, if it doesn't work out. Right. Yeah. That'll be that. But uh, <laughs> it, was really, it was really nice that, uh, that they kind of had faith in me like that. 
So what, what was your rig at this point? You know, because you're, you're about to go on a big tour. I mean, from the footage, it looked like you were using that 63 Strat and looks like you had like a, a telly that was stripped, you know, yeah. and, you know and uh, like some kind of, you know, yeah. Tell, tell us, what was your rig at that yeah. point playing with Mary Chapin? EBS special. That's probably what you saw yeah. like, that's on YouTube. So it was, you know, so yeah, I had my Strat, that, that telly. And it was my 63 telly um, that I still have. It's finished now. Well, I can show it to you. Um, yeah. And I had those. Those were kind of the two guitars I was using. I think I had a slide guitar of some kind, maybe a Strat. And I think I had my Super Reverb. Uh, when I first went out with her, I had a Super Reverb and an AC30. And I did bring my AC30 out. I don't think I used it on the gig but i had it out and I, I remember at one point it got trashed just because they do it's an old one you know so like the yeah. shelf or whatever just by being in the, nothing you know it was okay but uh i think i just had it out on the road just as like a spare or something i don't know but yeah. uh i think i remember yeah i think i was using my super reverb for that and i think they covered it in some stage set like something like it's kind of I knew I knew it was the big time because there were stairs on stage. Yes. It's like, hmm, man, there are different people down. Uh, sorry about that. Uh, uh, yeah, so that was pretty much it. Yeah, those guitars. I was playing my Strat a lot back then too. Yeah, and uh, and I'll you know because. Uh, and you looked like you had one of those old boss pedal trays or something like that. <laughs> we kind of talked about, about that on Facebook, but yeah, what'd you have in the in the in the board? I like then I still I would have had a compressor still. I know I had a boss compressor, tube screamer, you know, like of the day. This would have been '95, you know, yeah. and then old over for me probably from the years before. Tube screamer, boss delay, you know, whatever the delay was at the time. Um, and maybe like another, usually I'd have probably another overdrive that was, you know, gainier than a tube screamer. I don't remember what that might've been, Yeah, you know, as we go through so many over the years, a volume pedal. Yeah. Basic stuff, a tremolo probably. Um, and I used those boss pedals for a long time. I can, I think. Remember exactly. It was probably some years after that that I kind of switched over to to other stuff. Yeah, and you know, of course, this was your first. Even though you know, like the story was a signed act. Of course, you were playing with Mary Chapin, and she was doing a lot of television, and she was doing you know the Tonight Show, and and you're mm -hmm. you know playing you know bigger venues, and uh, was was that a big shift for you to be uh, playing at that level? Oh, totally. Yeah, I'd never done anything like that. I mean, at nothing close. And uh, I always told people, my first gig, my first actual time I played on stage with, with Mary Chapin was at the Grammys that Dang. year. Yeah, so I had gone from just, you know, playing around town and, and doing, you know, regional gigs. And, you know, I'd been overseas and done, like, some of the blues jazz festival circuit. So, you know, I'd been on some bigger stages and stuff. But, uh, but yeah, the Grammys... <laughs> we rehearsed for two weeks for the tour you know it was like it was her first big headlining tour really even though she had had a bunch of hits right before it you know so i think she was out with vince maybe the year before with all when all she had all 
like string of all those giant hits and yeah. then that was her first big headlining tour so they had pre-production everything you know for a couple of weeks and the first gig was being playing the tune on the grammys <laughs> no that was, <laughs> that was that was something else and we, yeah then that year we did we did letterman and you know all the kind of usual tv shows which again i had never done yeah was, was it a big learning curve to all of a sudden you know be performing on tv and all those other things what you know what were some hard knocks or things that you know kind of you got you know kicks to the head or something like that with some of these things <laughs> every day <laughs> um i tr i think i tried to ignore it as much as possible i mean maybe that's what most people do is if you're on tv when i think about it or when I probably thought about it then, it's like, all right, not only are we recording, but we're t we're filming. You know, it's like yeah. if one was bad enough to like to break your nerves. Um, so I think I just tried to you try to kind of ignore the fact that you're doing it, and just fortunately she had a great band and people were really confident and great, and that that helped me a lot. Um, yeah, I I can't say I, I had any. Uh, if there were any horrible things that happened but uh, i think there was one letterman we did where there was a really they had to had to retake the tune maybe because it was some really bad hum coming from my amp <laughs> yeah once where he had to re-announce it but you know my amp it's quite possible it was a rental you know if we flew in to do it or something right yeah that's a trip i don't know if I'll, i'd ever get used to it i i, I i've done them since you know in the last five, ten years, and um, I wish I had a little grain of knowledge to impart to anyone else doing it, but you know, I, I think I remember my leg shaking at the, by the end of the tune at the Grammys, like that was, because that was just so freaky, not only is it the Grammys, but you see in the first rows, you see like everyone you've ever listened to, you know, that's, that's you know, star after star. Yeah, there's like Stevie Wonder, or, or yeah, on and on and on. Yeah. 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 But yeah, there, there was um, amazing. We got to do so many amazing gigs with her. We played the White House a couple of years later, and yeah, just wild. Yeah, and and you continued to you know put out your solo records. So you put out Lava, I guess, which was kind of while you were still with uh, Mary Chapin, and and yeah. uh, and and then I guess you know. She kind of slowed down as far as her touring, and and uh, and you you've continued to record with her quite a bit, but uh, yeah. you haven't you haven't toured with her in a number of years. Yeah, no, I, d I decided to take a break from the road stuff. Um, and she, yeah, she still tours a lot, you know. She, um, but I had decided not to to do so much. And uh, but luckily, yes, yeah, still get to to record with her. We just made a record this year that just came out. Yeah. Uh, what what made you want to get off the road? I mean, I, there's, I mean, it's kind of obvious in some ways, but yeah. Yeah, it's. Um, I think part of it was, you know, the obvious thing being away a lot, and part of it was I just uh, wanted to open myself up to some other experiences because I feel like if you're doing one gig, it's it's the best thing in the world, and and certainly hers was as great a gig as you could ask for. Um, but I felt like you do that one thing, you know, obviously. Yes. And and I'm a great one for like recording in a hotel room and 
and, and being really productive while I'm out on the road. Mostly my goal is to sleep and make sure I get some rest. And, um, so yeah, just I think I wanted to open myself up to some other musical experiences. Also, people get in their head that you do that gig, rightfully so. They never assume that that you're around to do anything. You know, even around my hometown where I kind of play a lot, or you know, my hometown now where I play a lot. For years, people were like, well, "When are you going back out with Mary Chapin?" And I was like, "I don't know, not in five years." Or but people, you know, rightfully so, they kind of have that idea that you're in that band, right? So. So that kind of, that was really why I kind of wanted to take a break at that point. Well, and also you've, you've been a solo artist all this time also, you know, you've, right. and, and you've, you know, I think something I kind of alluded to, you know, earlier was the fact that you've, you've been able to be very successful as a side man with these different artists, but also you, you've had you know success as a as a solo artist doing doing your solo records and performing on your own and uh and i I have to think that that has to be part of you know that you've you've wanted to continue to do your own thing you know and also play with other people you know yeah yeah no um it's kind of like it's almost reverse for me where my main kind of my main gig is playing with other people and my own thing i love doing it and it's almost like a, it's almost like a side project. I've never really toured doing my own music. I've mostly just played locally here. But uh, you know, getting the records out has been amazing. You know, and, and especially now where people anywhere can hear it. And you know, the, the YouTube thing has really helped by, you know, people be getting to see what the you know whatever my band does wherever they are without touring. So yeah, it's been basically needing to make a living and, and also loving being a side man but that's kind of been my that gets like the first the main uh emphasis i guess yeah and, but lucky to be i I, lo- I like making a record every once in a while it's been maybe about every 10 years at this point but <laughs> yeah, i was gonna ask you when 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 are you planning to do another solo record i don't know good question maybe yeah. uh Maybe the ten-year cycle. <laughs> <laughs> well, because when did the fade out come out? <laughs> yeah, the fade out came out in seventeen, maybe. Okay. Yes, three years ago, three or four years ago. Oh, so I guess we've got seven more years to go. <laughs> yeah. So I gotta get on. Um, yeah, and then I got sidetracked with this this other project I do that's that where we do all seventies music. So that yeah. would that became a focus instead of my own. For a little while, but yeah, I'll, I'll probably do another one. Yeah. Just uh, on a on a side note, you also uh, you you uh, you played with Roseanne Cash for a little bit, uh, filling in for John Leventhal. So yeah. yeah, yeah, I got some gigs like that, and you know my, did, I don't know if you know Kevin Barry. You know I, Kevin? I I I know who he is, and I've seen him play. Yes, so he's kind of a, a he's kind of a partner of yours, and he also plays with Roseanne too. Yeah, so he you know he and I have been playing together for 25 years or more and still all the time and so we're just pretty tight and he's an amazing musician and player and he's been playing with Roseanne for the last few years and I know and I know John too and and when uh and when John had to miss a few gigs you know Eb's you know suggested that I fill in and uh, yeah I got to do that which was pretty awesome yeah you know I've been a huge fan of John's for a long time, and 
and that was the the record and she, they were playing her new record from start to finish it was very cool like the set was the whole record in order so it was you know and whole band amazing band and also friends and uh just being able to just kind of learning his stuff of course was a treat you know and yeah songs were amazing parts were amazing what i could play of them and <laughs> yeah he is uh did he on on those tunes? Did you have to use any of his alternate tunings where he he tune he tunes down on some of the strings? And I think he does that more on acoustic. But uh... Uh, yeah, I think so. And I didn't have to do too much of that. I think Kevin may have had to do one or two of oh. those, <laughs> and uh, he's not used to. But he did it beautifully. Um, but no, I, I could I couldn't do what he does, you know, what John does, uh, or what Kevin does, for that matter. Um, so yeah, it was mostly like the electric parts, yeah. you know, yeah. kind of really cool. So, who are who who are some of your favorite players to this day? You know, people that influenced you and you and you still enjoy listening to. Do you you still get off on? Yeah. Um, I would say uh, Ryan Cooter. Yeah. Um, I still I still dig Albert Lee and Ray Flack. Uh, I love John's playing. I love Kevin's playing. Um, and, you know, it's probably some other ones, uh, that's, that's always the question. There's so many, yeah. but, uh, off the top of my head, I'm just trying to like, we, uh, what I listen to, you know, uh, I don't listen to a lot of guitar player records that much, even that, like, I still love, uh, like the era of players from like the 70s and 80s like Pat Metheny and John Schofield and Bill Frizzell I still listen to for guitar stuff that's probably the stuff I listen to yeah it's it's interesting in your most guitar players when they make a solo record it, it kind of they might be like one or two ballads on there but most of the time it's kind of a, a note fest and one of the things that you know, drew me to your albums was that while you might have a tune or two where you do, you know, play more notes, you always tend to play melodic and, and your albums are very listenable because they sound like, it sounds like soundtrack music, you know, oh, cool. yeah. and so I've always, and, and that's why, you know, I, you know, there are so many solo records by guitarists that just end up being, oh, that's impressive. And after you've listened to it once, you kind of put it aside. So what kind of drove you to make albums that were more more melodic instead of the look at me, look at me kind of tendency for guitar <laughs> players? Um, that's, yeah, I just I just thought there was room for that. You know, I, I you know, in my first couple of records, I definitely had some no no fests and, and some hot, you know, for what I could do, hot picking kind of stuff, which I love still. Um, and there was like a combination of things, but I don't know. I always liked exploring the fact, you know, my concept back then was like, okay, I love playing rootsy country guitar and that's in blues. And that can be, that can be the vibe of the stuff, but also the, um, there's no reason it can't be simple melodies and, and stuff that might be sung, but it's just played on guitar, you know, and that's, that was part of what I wanted to do. Yeah. Um, glad that that came through and probably now in the last couple of records more more so um and even the last 
the last record I did, the fade out, I set out to make more rowdy record, like with more like picking and and like just going for it. And we did cut a couple tunes like that, but it was, it was weird and they came out okay, but it didn't, <laughs> my own playing like that didn't do that much for me. So I kind of went back to the stuff that I just, I'll always gravitate to what, you know, what I want to hear, I guess. Yeah. Well, you know, of course, right now, you know, we're still in this strange place of, you know, COVID and quarantine and, uh, you know, hopefully we'll, you know, maybe be doing gigs ne next year or, you know, when, when, you know, do you have any plans for gigging at this point? Yeah. I mean, I hope so. Uh, my main gig these days is with Peter Wolf. Yeah. You know, we had some shows for the fall and they've been rescheduled to like April, I guess, March and April. So that's, we're hoping that those will take, you know, and things will be cool by then. Um, I'm kind of hunkered down here. I've, there's, you know, a couple opportunities, probably same everywhere. Like some, some venues are doing live streaming with no audience. Right. There's door gigs around here when the weather's nice in somebody's yard or something. I, I, I haven't done any of that stuff. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, hopefully by the spring. Yeah. We'll be back to it up. I've been spending my time. I think I, I mentioned I'm going to put in trying to put a Patreon page together. So I've kind of been focused. On, I have feels like I have a project to do, and you know, I've been recording some stuff and videoing some stuff. So well, that's, at least I'm doing something. Well, that's <laughs> very cool. I, I, you know, I really hope that uh, I can't wait to see that. So you know, you'll oh. have a, you'll have a supporter in me. So absolutely, and uh, awesome. ex excited to see that. So let's. Uh, let's 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 go down the gear trail so tell us about the telly that you're holding right there all right so this is I, i'm a little but yeah i think this is my 53 yeah this has pretty been pretty much my main guitar for a long time uh right now it's the one that's the least it's not in great shape it doesn't play too too much in tune and needs frets Setup's a little funky, but it's the great guitar. So, if you know, like, if you're gonna get that guitar refretted, like, what what kind of frets do you like? Do you like the vintage ones, or do you like the bigger frets? I, I think I like they're kind of in between. In fact, I was just talking to my friend Wolf Janandes, who's gonna do it. Um, yeah, not super little, like not the, maybe the truest vintage, but. Uh, a little bigger i forget 61 somethings yeah there's like 6105 <laughs> is is kind of a popular tall like you know that, yeah. medium not too tall not too fat but kind of a little bigger than vintage yeah uh, and i think on, on a bunch of these yeah and this one i got this is a 53 i got for my brother probably maybe 20 years ago and i had i had my uh yeah, I had my 63 at the time. That's that's the one I got in the 90s. And I had never played, you know, one of these, as a lot of people have it, you know. Yeah. And I liked my telly, and it was pretty cool, fat-sounding Rosewood telly. And he had this, he said, you should play this outside of shop. And he had just gotten it. And when I got, I mean, you could almost not play it. The frets were so almost like below the fingerboard. They were so gone, and they were probably refret anyway, so... But I could play it. I hit a chord. I couldn't believe what it sounded like. The black thing. It's just, well, you know, right? Yeah, and, yeah. 
So I said, okay, what do I have to do? And I traded, I think I still had, what did I, yeah, I had a, at the time I had a 56 Telia. It was an Esquire. It was a nice guitar, but it was kind of unstable. And I had that, and I think I traded him that and one other pretty good guitar. And he had gotten a decent deal on it because it had had like a route that was refilled. Yeah. For the neck pickup. And like some of it was oversprayed, the neck was oversprayed, and maybe the body too. Um, I think there was, I only f remember now since it's wearing away that there's a little, the right, um, yeah, right. there's a little patch, I think, there, that little spot. Nothing like major. Maybe the pick guard's not original, I don't even know. But most of all the important stuff, the, the, the bridge pickup is original. The neck pickup was rewound, and I had to have it rewound again, but it sounds really good. Yeah, so that's that's the story of this thing. It's pretty cool. And and that's 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 been your main main tally for a long time. Yeah, except for before that was the '63. Yeah. Yeah. So you want to see that one? This is that one you talked about that had no finish on it. Yeah. That's that this that looks like this now. I had it refinished. Oh, nice. And 15 years ago. Um, yeah, it's a cool guitar. It's, uh, so, so this is the guitar on country soul guitar and, and yeah. some of those other albums. Yeah. Yeah. Like when, when I got it, you'll laugh. It's like, it was, I think the only thing that was original was the neck and the body. It was like a thousand bucks at one of our local stores, Cambridge music. And it had like a six-piece bridge on it, yeah. you know, six bridge even, that I didn't even change, I think, till I got it refinished. I was like, had it that way for a, a long time, and it had like, I don't even know what the pickups were, like Mighty Might or something like. Okay. Before, you know, like in the early 90s, there weren't that many, I don't know, there was Duncan and a couple other things. And and since, and it had a black pickguard that wasn't original either. So, that, yeah, now it looks a little cooler. Um, I replaced the pickups. It's got a real, you know, Tele Brit saddles on it, and I really like. I love it. It's one of my favorites. What what and kind of pickups have you put in it? These are uh, antiquities. Okay. Yeah, I really like them. And then um, this is the one. I don't mess with pickups that much in my guitars. I just. I don't really want to. If it sounds good, I kind of leave it. But uh, yeah, one guitar I've tried a bunch of different pickups in, you know, just because it never had the originals. And this, these are the ones I like the best so far. Is is that a flat pole or a staggered pole bridge pickup? Oh yeah, this is like good question. I think it is there like kind of flat pole with the raised D. Is that do they make that's, something like that? Yeah, that's a that's a staggered like a later fifties style or sixties. Yeah. Yeah, although they might have made one that's supposed to be like a flat pole with the pole raised. I can't really remember. Okay, yeah. Which you know, might have, I don't know. On the other hand, I might have just wanted to put in whatever the, the 60s pickups would have been. Yeah. And I, yeah, it's just, there's it's a stock set of their, yeah. their one. And I'm, I'm guessing you've had to refret it a couple times through the years because yeah. you've played it so much? I think I only refret, I refretted it when I got it and it, it had pretty big frets on it because that was I didn't know any better than that was 92 or whatever. And I think I, I just refretted it 
again um, right a couple of years ago. Yeah. Yeah, with a little smaller, you know, more normal frets. It's really nice. Well, I didn't do it. My friend Jim Moradian did it. So yeah. And uh, yeah. while we're at it, what, what kind of uh, strings and picks do you use? Um, the Dario strings. Yeah. Um, ends pretty much on every, although, uh, I, for, for the last, for a while, I, I try, I had nines on my, uh, on my 53 just to try it. And I kind of liked it. I just, just put tens back on, but they were kind of cool. So the Dario, and then I just, I like these fender heavy picks now. I don't know, just the yeah. standard, standard size. I, I was using those Dunlop Tortex ones for a long time various thicknesses but yeah this has kind of been uh what i like for acoustic i i, I do have a couple of blue chip picks that i that i like for that it's, i think they're pretty cool yeah they're very nice do you use yeah. the do you use the point or the or the rounded part of the the pick yeah i use the point okay like... yeah cool that's uh that's very very cool guitar uh yeah, it's a good one. And then there's, I don't know how much, if you want to see all these, but yeah, pull this, yeah, this, get another telly. This is a relic that I actually is almost use as much, or if not more, lately than my '53. It's called a '53 relic. Yep. And you know, I, I wanted like a road guitar at one point. You know, something that felt like my guitar. And they had, um, I got this from uh, Willie's. You know you yeah. know yeah and nate and i asked him i said is it really like a 53 he's like yeah it really is and and it feels almost just like my real one my old one and and it really it's really enjoyable it's got i think a little bit of a flatter fingerboard mm -hmm. not like that you would nothing extreme but in a way it's just How did you your your string bending technique? It's uh, it's it's very uh, yeah. You have a very smooth kind of you know. It, it sounds like you heard B bender stuff and then learned and then kind of were kind of mimicking it because it's it's your bending's very smooth. Yeah. Oh, thanks. I mean, a lot of it's like I listen to pedal steel players, you know, yeah. and the and the B bender. I mean, I I love Clarence White and like. I know every there are a lot of other B bender players. And I know Marty plays that guitar amazingly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just I never have one, so some of it's some yeah. of it's the, the B bender thing, and a lot of it's just trying to play what the steel players would have played. Yeah. Um, Humor me and uh, the the tune buds bounce. Oh yeah. Did, how did you play that with hammer-ons or bins? When you, when that's, you when you recorded that, well, yeah, that's a lot of the, the hammer-on thing. Is something I've been into again, just to like, I think it's sometimes overlooked for the steel. Like a lot of the steel players, I love. They weren't always didn't always sound like a bend, even though they would bend the string, but it sounded more like that, you know. Yeah. Right. But yeah, Bud's bounce was. Uh, Yeah. Camerons or bands and that's Yeah. 
yeah, there, there's so much to, to pedal steel, like sounding like a pedal steel. It's actually more about having legato, you know, lines that, and also having the, the vibrato in it afterwards. It's kind of like there's the, the bend and then there's like the, where, you know, they would yeah. use the bar to, to shake the whole thing. Yeah. 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 And, and a, a lot of it, you know, which I, I do unconsciously now is the right hand thing. Cause like, the, the damping that steel players have to do it's yeah. like that to me is such a cool sound and you know it's not always appropriate but just that stop in the notes so they don't all Yeah, you're, you're you're stopping the notes so that they all have their impact. Yeah. Yeah, and like that they that the steel players out of necessity had to do because you know all the strings that are around <laughs> they have ten, and just that they always you know in slide players too of course that's a thing that you know just to keep the other stuff from ringing, but yeah. sometimes it's cool sound to me in itself you know just that yeah. that short. So that's uh, so that so that's the uh, uh, fifty three you know uh, relic. relic. And yeah. what, what is the neck shape on that? It is, is it more rounder or like a V yeah. or what? No, it's it's round. Like I said, it's really cl- close to the way my '53 feels. It's pretty round. It's some might call it a slight V. That might be. You know, it's not as uh, like what those no casters they made for a long time. The rel- the relics yeah. that had really big necks. Yeah, those were crazy. Those were way too big. Yeah, yeah those were all too big. I always wanted to find one that was you know like mine and that's what this is it's not quite as big but it's still pretty round yeah definitely not like my 63 is tip more typical same as my the strat and the telly are almost the same they're a little you know shallower yeah yeah yes 60 63 can be some cool necks because they kind of started getting bigger than the 59 and 60 because they were they got really small then 63 64 some good good feeling necks so yeah yeah, they kind of came back to like the Gibsons and the Fenders in the early yeah. '60s. They yeah. were like, they were like flat. Yeah, <laughs> like they weird. they were flattened and small, and it was I I don't know why who thought that was cool, but it was like yeah, starting in the late '50s, uh, Fender especially, and then you know Gibson started a year or two later. You know, like the you know '60, 60, '61, '62. Those are some of the skinniest, flattest necks That's on both cool. Fenders and Gibsons, and then all and then they both decided at the same time to make their necks a little bigger so it's it's very strange if it's a great guitar it's like i'll just go you know i have a, i have a really pretty awesome casino a 62 that has that kind of neck it's like but i almost don't even think about it because the guitar sounds so amazing and i just i don't know i just go with it yeah <laughs> worth it yeah let's see the uh the old strat is i'm, I'm assuming that's all the tellies yeah, those are those are the three tellies. I've had a, there's a couple more I've had over the years that I don't have. There's a I had a really cool, really early like maybe '52 or three, really weird one that's two tone sunburst that I think one of the owners thought was a refin, but it really looks original. And uh, I played that on I had that when we made Lava. Okay. I played that beautiful sounding guitar. My friend Chris Rival who engineered and mixed recorded all all my records he has that guitar now so it's and he plays a lot it's very cool it's very dark it's got a really narrow neck on it like i don't think i've ever played a telly with a the width was that narrow maybe an a neck is that what that's 
possible, yeah. It's yeah. really our little telly, but it sounds great. But this one, yes, this is... Dang. Yeah, it's pretty. And this actually, in my, I've been experimenting. This has nines on it now as well, which I really like on this guitar. Um, it's uh, uh. So yeah, I got this. This is pretty much all original. I think um, we've been refretted. Maybe yeah, I think it's all there i got this from my brother this was like my first great vintage guitar probably in the late 80s i got it yeah so he i had my i had this this mid-70s like blonde hardtail strat that was my guitar so i traded in that and i had <laughs> i think i had it for all of six months i had a white charvel jackson with the <laughs> <laughs> or a full, whatever it had on it with the shark tooth inlay and it's like I don't know what I was thinking this was the 80s though so yeah so I traded those two guitars for this okay show it the 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 wear on that thing is amazing show us the the front and back of that yeah and, so I think you can see that and then yeah it was pretty beat when I got it like it had a lot of this wear yeah but like stuff Right, right here, I probably wore off because the finish is so thin. I, I think that was the thing, and why maybe partly there's still a little whiff of like someone's initials. I don't know if you can see in the top of that wear that now. <laughs> yeah, can... yeah, you, it looks like someone tried to put an L or something there. Who knows? I think it was M. It was oh, okay. M's. Um, but yeah, it's pretty awesome. Um, so yeah, I traded him two guitars. I think he had it on his list for eighteen hundred dollars around that time and i think he gave it to me for, you know for less i don't remember exactly what it was but yeah your brother but, gave you a deal uh, your brother gave you a deal that's yeah, good well, he always does which is but yeah i've actually recently looked at some stock lists of his from the 80s and like all the blackguards are like 1200 dollars and mm -hmm. whatever it was from the 50s this yeah the strats would have been more you know, than the tellies then. Yeah, because you know it was the it was the eighties and it was strat crazy. I remember, yeah, in the eighties, yeah. you know, black guards, you know, would be in that thousand dollar to fifteen hundred dollar range unless they were just crazy clean. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So, so that was your first good, you know, vintage guitar. And did you ever? Uh, did you have trouble, you know, with the, you know, because during the time period, you also had strats that had like EMGs in them and stuff like that. Was that for the, the times when you, you know, had noise issues with that one? Did you, did you have much noise issues with that guitar on stage? I, I don't think for the gigs I was doing, I don't really remember it being a problem too much, or I just, you know, it was just a, ne a necessary evil. But I, I do now remember that I had, maybe it was around the same time, I did have a, uh, one of those, remember the Strat? plus was it with the lace sensors yeah something like that i think i know i had one of those guitars um that had quiet pickups i don't know if i used it that i know i used it a little bit i might have taken it on the road um but i have pictures of from like european festivals back then i was that played some of the blues played with otis rush a couple times some yeah. of the, at circuit but i was playing this guitar so i obviously wasn't that afraid of taking it out with me yeah 
<laughs> now I'm a little more wary of, of checking a, a guitar. Uh, there was one trip with Mary Chapin where I had this out, and I think I had a gig bag that fit in a road case, so I could do either. And I and um, I went to to bring it on the plane. We were coming back from Ireland, and they wouldn't let me take it on the plane. I had to put it. Luckily, I had the the, the road case to put it in, but. I didn't get it back for like two days and I, I freaked out because it, it didn't show up and it didn't show up another day. And yeah, so I think after that, I was a little spooked about taking, taking these out. Yeah. So, uh, amps, what are, uh, I know you've got, you've obviously got a ton of amps, but what are some of your, you know, your, your main amps? I've seen you play through, you know, Voxes and fenders and you know, all sorts yeah. of things. So, um, so uh, for a long time, I played, I really have a, a couple AC-30s I love, and for years that was kind of my main thing. I have a couple early 60s AC-30s, one couple with original speakers that I really love. And uh, I used those for a while, and then um, for gigs, and then I, I started using a, uh, I had a, an AC-30 cabinet, and I had this blockhead head that I really liked through that. So it was a copy of a JTM 40, an early JTM 45. Yeah. So for the for Marshall kind of world, and I, st I still have that. It's a really cool sounding thing. I use that a lot. I like the 212 thing, but all that to say, before all that, I have my Vibrolux Reverb that I still have, and what I used on most of the records. And and after all the 212 thing, it's funny. The last year or so, I got back into using my Vibrolux Reverb again on a lot of gigs, and I just that's kind of a default for me, you know, and now like here in this room, you know, and mostly at home, I have a really nice Princeton reverb, which is, you know, just like a version of that kind of thing, a blood, you know, another black yeah. panel. Do, um, do you have a, a 10 in it or have you put a 12 in there? It's a 10. Yeah. It's a, but I did put one of, one of those hemp, uh, eminence hemp speakers in it. Yeah. They make a 10 now and I really like it in that app. It's a little dark, but it's, not overly so and it's just kind of fat and, and full sound i have those in yeah i have those in my barberlux too yeah pretty sure um and so yeah now lately you know just playing here at home i've, I've got some really cool smaller amps um i got the princeton reverb i have a, a really nice tweed deluxe and a the harvard and it's got this ampeg back i posted that video the other day yeah so kind of that's been kind of my default just around the house but yeah the the box the box the ac30 thing i still love and i have a cool i don't use it on gigs too much i have a cool uh, master volume mark like a 50 watt like you know that whatever that was in the late 70s early 80s that's really one of my favorites like for that sound it's just it's I don't know. I lucked out for whatever reason. It just sounds perfect. It, it, I always think it's foolproof. No matter what session I've been at with that, no matter what the engineer knows or doesn't know, it seems to always sound good. So, yeah. And and uh, I've kind of found this thing lately where I, the, I put a another replacement speaker, same speaker, one of those hemp speakers in the Tweed Deluxe. It's a 50s Tweed Deluxe. And I, I kind of like it in that. But also, I've used that to plug different heads into, like on sessions. I'll just put that out in the room, and the Marshall actually weirdly sounds really good through it. Wow. 
through yeah, a, I know. through a one twelve hemp speaker. Yeah, it's kind of strange, but it, but it seems in uh, even I plug the AC thirty through it. I have an eight ohm output in one of my one of my eight thirties, and uh, yeah, it's weird in that little cabinet. It seems to just at least mic'd up. You know, it has that nice focus and yeah. seems to work. And studio wise, that has kind of lately been my rig. You know, bring that which is great on its own, and then maybe a couple different heads. Yeah. Uh, effects wise, what have you been using? Um, so, um, really, my I have a basic thing: a couple overdrives, a couple, maybe one or two delays, tremolo. It's they're all pretty, at least for like day to day and for for most gigs. So I use I really like a couple of Mad Professor things. Yeah. And uh, I think I'm an official uh, endorser, but I use a Sweet Honey overdrive. That's really like I've used that for a long time now. It's pretty much one of my go tos. Uh, and the deep blue delay, mm-hmm. their, their delay which I really like a lot. Then uh, and their trump pedal, uh, and then lately I've been turned on to the jam pedals. Okay, you know about them? I don't. Re- really cool company from Greece, and uh, and I am also now affiliated with the jam pedals company. But both of these companies, I mean, I don't really have any that many endorsements, but the ones I do, I. I I can safely say I liked and were just using their stuff before I became, you know, any kind of official capacity. So the jam stuff, uh, they make, I've been using the thing that's called the Rattler pedal, which is an, an overdrive that, you know, I got turned on to these. There's a local shop here in the Boston area called the Music Emporium. Great, always a great acoustic shop for years and years. And now they do a lot of electric stuff too. And I've done a couple uh, like demos for them for guitars and one I was over there doing one they said I'll just here plug into this pedal board there's a delay and an overdrive and I turned on this overdrive and it was like instant fun like a three knob overdrive and I was yeah. like the never I mean you know how many <laughs> the camera can't pan to the pedal graveyard I have here <laughs> I've played through tons of stuff but if I if I had known what it was supposed to be, I might not have ever plugged into it. But it's basically like a gainier overdrive for what I want. Um, you know, I, like the Sweet Honey is more in the I guess tube screamer zone. You know, overdrive not you can get it pretty rocking, but um, and I usually like to have something that's a little gainier than that. And so this thing called the Rattler is supposed I guess it's their take on a rat pedal. Okay. Yeah. Well, and I had a rat pedal. I used a rat pedal in the eighties and. The funny thing is, like, I don't think it really sounds like a rap pedal in a great way. It's in the best way. It doesn't, yeah. I mean, they, they failed um, in the best way. Yeah, in the best way. But, man, it's, it's been my, it's really been a pedal I love playing through for that, like, gainier, but still, it has, uh, it's not like, it's not too thick sounding. Like, it has character. It feels like an amp. All the stuff you kind of that I kind of want feels like an app, but it sounds really convincing to me. Um, so I really dig that, and uh, they make. I'm using this uh, thing called the Waterfall, which is their vibe chorus pedal, which I I really like, especially like the vibrato. It's an analog thing, and then they make a cool delay called the Delay Llama. Okay. It's analog, but it's cool. It's gonna. It's really. It's a long time. They have a long delay time for an analog thing without sacrifice. Like sometimes, 
seems like when uh, somebody makes something like that, that the long out of an analog delay with a longer delay sound a little compromised or a little crappier. Yeah. yeah, sometimes they have too many artifacts going on. There's just too much, too much other have, like junk going on. Something happens, but with yeah. this one, they figured something out where the long delays sound so beautiful, and yeah, I don't think I've ever had another pedal do that. So I use that a bunch too. Uh, that's pretty cool. And their trem pedal is also really nice. Yeah. Kind of been, I'm looking at it. That's why I'm looking down. I'm looking at um, And then I'll just kind of add stuff as I need. I, I've kind of gotten into phase. I have an old small stone phase shifter I really like. It's, it's kind of beautiful sounding. And, and I have a little, they had, you know, they it's, it's from the 70s. So it's got a little volume drop. And, you know, I, I have this, uh, it's an analog man bossy cue that I use with the phase shifter just to make it sound a little bigger and, and just yeah. kind of do that. And then I have a couple of, you know, the usual, like I'll add stuff as I need, a couple fuzz pedals or, but really the basic thing is that a couple overdrives, a couple delays and some tremolo. Yeah. Do, do you find yourself not using compression as much anymore? Yeah. You know, it's because we were talking about the boss pedal thing. Yeah. I haven't, I stopped using the compressor maybe in the 90s, and I don't think I ever looked back. For some reason, I, and I, I do have a couple now that I like. I have, there's an analog man that buy compressor that's, yeah. that I think is cool, and I have an old Dynacom, and every once in a while I'll plug them in just because it's fun. Um, but yeah, for some reason I just, I, I used a lot, like in the back in the day, I can hear it on my records, and, it, and it's cool, it's a cool sound. Um, and I also used to use it a lot for like volume pedal stuff, because just like for that boost, you know, yeah. that could have out of it. And at a certain point, I kind of found that just like a light overdrive took the place of that function for me, especially with like the volume pedal stuff, which I would do a lot of. It's like, well, it didn't, doesn't come across as being that dirty, and it, ha it gives me the boost that I kind of want. And uh, yeah, I just, the, com the compressor thing, I just kind of got away from it. Yeah. So is that what the Honey Overdrive kind of functions for you now yeah. in that way? In the yeah, that or the the, the Keeley made a blues driver. Yeah. Uh, mod. I still have one of those that I like. Those are those are pretty cool. You know that kind of thing. That's like you know a milder overdrive. You know as well as filling for other stuff. But yeah, I felt in general I felt like the over that I didn't need it to be like clean to get to have like a little boost and a little fun. Right. And I think that's what the compressor kind of does. Yeah. I mean, it's its own thing anyways, but. Yeah. Well, Duke, this has been, uh, been very, very cool and fun, fun to sit down with you. And I appreciate you doing it. This is a, a, a real, real treat. So I'm glad we were finally able it's, to do this. Oh, it's great. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. It's uh, all right. Yeah, it, it it will be, and, and I just you know we'll be watching for when your uh, your kind of Patreon uh, thing oh, yeah. you know comes up. You know, please uh, keep us informed on that so that we can uh, you know kind of spread the word on that. Oh, and, thanks. Uh, well, yeah, and just uh, very grateful. Thank you, Duke. Me too, man. Thanks, okay. Zach.